Have you been thinking about wanting to start your own podcast? When I was trying to get the Evan Witt show off the ground, trying to find where to go, I had a lot of questions and trying to figure it out. And Anchor was the place to go. Easy to start, easy to use, and it's free. And you can get your podcast heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other great places that people like to listen. The answer, again, is Anchor. And I love using Anchor as it's extremely easy and simple and free to use. If you want to join me with Anchor on your podcast, then go to anchor.fm slash start and join me and the diverse community of all the podcasters that Anchor has to offer. I enjoy and cannot wait to start hearing your first podcast. That's anchor.fm slash start. It is Saturday, October 26th, and this is the latest episode of the Evan Witt Podcast. Cast and boy has a lot of stuff happened since the last podcast that I recorded. The Packers looked like they were going to lose to the 49ers, but then ended up coming back to win at the last second field goal. This was uh, after Crosby the week before missed five field goals um, or five kicks. The uh, Milwaukee Brewers uh, lost in seven games in the NLCS. Um, against the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Dodgers are now down 2-1 to one in the World Series against the Boston Red Sox. The Packers have had their bye week. The uh, Badgers lost to Michigan, beat Illinois, and then lost again to Northwestern today, and I turned 35 on uh, earlier in the week, so lots of things have happened since the last Evan Witt podcast, and just a few things that I would like to talk about today. First one being Milwaukee Brewers. You know, I got to tip my hat to the Milwaukee Brewers this season as they, uh, you know, went into the year with very little expectations. Um, they were elevated some when they traded for uh, Christian Yelich, then signed Lorenzo Kane, but still, at the end of the day, I don't know of too many people that had this high of expectations on the Brewers. Um, I don't think too many people were expecting the Brewers to go to the NLCS and get one game away from the World Series. Uh, going into the year, it still looked like it was the Cubs' division to lose with uh, signing of Hugh Darvis and the Cubs' team looking just better overall on paper. And the Brewers starting rotation looking very shaky. But the Brewers, they implemented a different style of baseball on uh, on on uh, on uh, pitching. You know, they had a pitching rotation led by Julius Tashin, Chase Anderson, Wade Miley, and then a whole bunch of other different pieces um, from there as there were a bunch of injuries to Wade Miley, too. Uh, Zach Davies injured a uh, lot of issues with injuries this year. Um, Brett Suter injury issues this year, eventually needing Tommy John surgery. Freddie Peralta, a young guy brought up, uh, pitched well at times, struggled at times. But overall, the Brewers just wanted to get four to five strong innings from their starting rotation, regardless of who they were throwing out there. Because if they could get... 405 strong innings out of the rotation. Then it was turning to the bullpen. And in the bullpen, you had guys like Jeremy Jeffers, Corey Knebo, Josh Hader. Um, you had guys like Dan Jennings. You had uh, later in the year, Joe Kim Soria, Taylor Williams, Brandon Woodworth. 
You know, they had a lot of different guys they can throw at you. Boone Logan, Adrian Hauser, Jordan Lyles, uh, Aaron Wilkinson, um, some of them, Oliver Drake, um, some of them better than others, some of them not better than others. Oliver Drake didn't last very long. But the thing is, the Brewers' plan was if you could get four or five innings out of their starting rotation, they could start throwing relievers at you. And they had a lot of guys in the bullpen early on. Um, you know, Jacob Barnes, Corbin Burns, um, you know, another guy. They had guys in the bullpen early on that you had options to do. You could send them down to AAA, bring new guys up. Use those arms up, send them down to AAA, bring new guys up. And it worked for Milwaukee's pitching. Um, you know, they didn't have to depend too much on the starting arms. And September, it got easier because you had extra... Uh, you had extra guys um, that you could throw in there with the September call-ups. And let's not forget Gio Gonzalez coming up, uh, you know, from from the Washington Nationals, too. Gio Gonzalez played great down the stretch, and he was, ended up starting two games, not going more than two in either. But Gio Gonzalez ended up starting two games in the postseason, and he was a big, a big get, big find for you um, late. And from a pitching perspective, but offensively, the Brewers also, you know, uh, pushed the envelope. Defensively, they pushed the envelope. Um, they traded for Mike Mustakis and Jonathan Scope, and they ended up moving Travis Shaw, pretty much being everyday second baseman, with Jonathan Scope splitting time between second and short. Hernan Perez played a lot uh, all around the f- all around the field. Domingo Santana struggled early on, um, got sent down to AAA, came down as one of your big players off the bench with a pinch hitter. You know, he was kind of a casualty of the Kane and Yelich uh, additions during the offseason. And he was also a casualty of Jesus Aguilar just having a monster year for Milwaukee. You know, Jesus Aguilar, all-star, first baseman, uh, End of the year with 35 home runs, 108 RBIs, and 890 OPS. He start, started out red hot during the first half of the uh, season, going 24 home runs, 70 RBIs, 995 OPS. And then he cooled down quite a bit in the second half, which isn't to be surprised. You know, Jesus Aguilar not used to playing this much, not used to contributing this much. He was actually lucky to even be on the team going into the end of spring training. He was one of the last guys they kept uh, when it was time for uh, cutting down the rosters. And with Eric Thames' thumb injury, uh, most people thought Ryan Brown would probably get a lot of playing time at first base when Eric Thames had to miss significant time with the thumb. But it turned out that it was uh, Jesus Aguilar that just took the position and ran with it. Um you know, Mike Moustakis may or may not be back. $15 million, uh, mutual option. Uh, both teams have say if they want him back or not. Orlando Arcia started out ice, ice cold. And he was their most consistent hitter come playoff time. So let's not forget about that. Uh, I already talked about Mr. Versatility and Ernan Perez. Jonathan Scope uh, struggled tremendously after coming to Milwaukee. So who knows what they do with him. And then Eric Kratz was a huge find from Milwaukee. Journeyman, 38-year-old catcher who uh, played mostly minor league ball, comes in and ultimately takes over the starting job 
everyday job over for Manny Pena going 236 with six home runs, 23 RBIs, over 67 games. And, you know, he uh, he was a leader that the Brewers needed in the clubhouse. He helped keep the team together. And when the Brewers are going through a spurt, um, struggling, he's the one that said, this is a damn good baseball team. And he was right. And they ended up winning a division in game 163 against the Cubs. And, you know, the season was exciting. The season was a roller coaster. The season had its ups and its downs and mostly ups, and it ended on a down note. I'm not going to call the season a disappointment. I know some people are going to argue that it was a disappointment because they didn't get to the World Series and they didn't win the World Series. But the season itself was not a disappointment. It ended on a disappointing note, but it was not a disappointment. I I rate the season as probably one of the most exciting seasons I've ever watched uh, as a baseball fan. This is something about this team. They played together. They had fun together. They genuinely liked each other. And it was just a fun season to see. And unlike the 2011 Milwaukee Brewer uh, season where they had a lot of guys, uh, you know, with question marks, Prince Fielder gone. Uh, Zach Granke only had um, probably, you know, not much longer with. And the Brewers look promising moving forward this time. And they have a lot of decisions excuse me, they got to make for their 2019 season. Joe Kim Soria has a $10 million mutual, mutual option with a $1 million buyout. My guess is he won't be back. Turns 35 next year. I think they would like to have him back, but I don't think he will. Uh, Mike Moustakis, fifteen million mutual buyout with a one million uh, mutual option with a one million buyout. I would love to see him back, but I think he'll want to retest the market after he kind of got shut out uh, last off season. Jordan Lyles, a three and a half million team option, two hundred fifty thousand dollar buyout. Um, Brewers trade uh, claimed him on waivers in early August uh, from the San Diego Padres and. He ended up with a 4.11 ERA and 87 and two innings, covering 35 appearances. He didn't pitch a ton for Milwaukee down the stretch, getting only 11 to- appearances and 16.1 uh, innings uh, pitched through the end of the season. But he did get a 3.31 ERA in Milwaukee. Um, so we, I guess I think he'll stay. Um, I think they'll keep him around as an option in spring training. Jeremy Jeffress, a $3.175 million club option. It's going to be a no-brainer. The Brewers are going to keep Jeremy Jeffress around, even with this struggle that he uh, he had um, in the postseason. But, you know, some of that was over-management at Council's part, putting uh, Jeffress in Game 7. He put him in a tough spot. He puts uh, Sedano in, who... Because uh, he's a quote left-handed specialist, not Sedano, um, but it puts a pitcher in that's not you know it's a left-handed specialist that fails to get uh, the batter out. He comes in with the man on, and then he ends up giving up a three-run home run to Yasiel Puig, which was it overall really you know is a tough pitch to actually get contact with, but Puig was able to muscle it over the wall. And just like that, it was 5-1, to one, and the Brewers ended up uh, not winning the game. 
But I, you definitely, in my opinion, you keep Jeremy Jeffress around with Canable and Hayter, and then you build the rest of the bullpen around those two. But they have almost everybody coming back, unlike 2011, where, like I said, you knew you were losing Prince. Rotation looked promising um, in 2019, which is huge for Milwaukee. Wade Miley likely going to be gone because um, he is a free agent. I don't know if he's going to want to come back or not. But you got Brandon Woodworth, who had a 2.89 ERA. A 2.19 ERA in the postseason. You have Tashin coming back um, next year. You have Corbin Burns, uh, I mean, Corbin Barnes, who. Uh, pitch great for you out of the pen. You have uh, Freddie Peralta as an option. Chase Anderson an option. You have Jimmy Nelson potentially an option. So you have a lot of options in your starting rotation if you're the Milwaukee Brewers. So I'm excited for what the Brewers are going to look like next year. The rotation looks good. Um, uh, promising, I guess I should say. And I, I'm excited for what I'm going to see. And as I said, the season was not a disappointment. It wasn't at all. However, it ended disappointing. And things I wouldn't be surprised to see the Brewers do in the offseason, as you know, David Stearns has missed to analytics, is you have a guy like Jesus Aguilar who had career huge numbers. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Brewers sell high on him, try to move him in the offseason, because the likelihood of him repeating his 35 home run, 108 RBI, 890 OPS, again, is pretty slim, especially when you have uh, a full offseason to study his habits and his tendencies as a batter. And I think what you saw in the second half of the season uh, uh, is more similar to what you're going to see from him long term. The Brewers could also keep Mike Moustakis uh, and move Travis Shaw, uh, try to trade him. Jonathan Scopey, your second baseman, kind of bridged the gap for Kirsten Hero. But I could see them keeping Moustakis and trading Shaw, keeping Moustakis, moving Aguilar and kicking Shaw over to first base. It's definitely going to be interesting what Milwaukee does there. So... With that, what were your thoughts on the 2018 Milwaukee Brewers season? Was it a disappointment for you, or was it an exciting season that just ended disappointing like it is for me? You can tweet at me at Evan with Sports. Moving on, the Green Bay Packers coming out of their bye week as healthy as they've been all year, um, other than the guys like Mohamed Wilkinson and Jake Ryan, who are an IR due to injuries and training camp. And then early on in the season, the Packers are healthy. They got Randall Cobb, Geronimo Allison, Jari Alexander, uh, them all back. Rodgers practiced this week. Rodgers looking like he's getting healthier. And Packers are a healthy team. And they're taking on the Los Angeles Rams, who is a very good football team. Undefeated Los Angeles Rams, might I add. But... I, I'm not going to chalk this up as a L for Green Bay. I think the Packers definitely do have an opportunity and do have a shot to potentially get the win here. The Rams do struggle stopping the uh, the run. Um, their defense has struggled lately. And this, between the Seahawks, the Broncos, and the 49ers, 
Those are three defenses that have found ways to kind of slow down the high-powered Rams offense as of late. And can the Packers do the same? The, the, the Packers, there's enough out there that the Packers can, you know, see on film that they can put together a game plan to slow down this Rams offense. And it, it helps that the Rams are mi- missing one of their top weapons at wide receiver and uh, Klup, a Klup, Klup, um, it helps the Green Bay that they're missing him. But this is a game that the Packers can definitely um, keep it close, I think. So, you know, they're not that, you know, Rams 7-0, Packers 3-2. and But if you look at deep down, they're not that much different in regards to offense. Um, Rams are, they're really not, especially when you got Aaron Rodgers. The Rams are going to look to run the ball. Get Todd Gurley involved. Play action, as they always do. Play action their big bread and butter. And I also wouldn't be surprised if McVay really focuses on trying to get Kentrell Bryce and Clinton Dix in one-on-one coverage. Get them out in coverage and attack them because that tends to be the, the biggest problem with the Packers defensively is the safety position. The safety position for Green Bay is just not very good. It's not. Their safeties are not very good, and I could see them. Um, I can see them trying to pick on them a little bit. Um, the game plan centered around, I should say, picking on the safeties. So, the Packers to win, they're going to have to not put Clinton Dix and Bryce uh, in positions that they can be exposed. I know easier said than done, but if you can get pressure on the quarterback. Um, that could definitely help, and I know it is. Um, I know it is hard for uh, you get pressure on the with the Packers right now, especially with uh, you know the edge guys just not being very good for Green Bay. But that's going to be key, key is get pressure on this young quarterback, to size some this guy some uh, some coverage and. Try to keep them on their heels a little bit. You keep them on their heels, you can attack them, and you can uh, hopefully uh, get you know get the quarterback, the young quarterback, into making some mistakes. So, but as I said, I think Green Bay can win. Offensively, they're going to have to work on attacking um, the you know get the ball in the playmaker's hands. And let the playmaker, and you get them in the playmaker's hands, let the playmakers make plays. Get them in their hands, let them make plays. Because too often they keep the ball in Rodgers' hands, and they get Rodgers the best player on the field. But too often they put the ball in Rodgers' hands, and they let him pat and 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 continue to pat the football before actually, you know, then scrambling. And then getting pressured and then getting a sack or uh, having to throw it away or maybe getting a short game because maybe somebody was able to bust open at the last minute. The Packers don't do a lot to help Rodgers out with uh, the game plan. They just don't. And I hope that McCarthy focuses on getting the ball out quick, getting the ball into the hands of... Aaron Jones and Ty Montgomery, and I can just go on and on. Get them in your playmakers' hands and let your playmakers make plays. 
And my biggest concern now with the fully healthy wide receiver position now with um, with Allison and Cobb back, my biggest concern is that Green Bay is going to say, well, we don't need to use Vardas Gantling or Academia St. Brown anymore. We can just go back to using Cobb and Allison, and we can go back to doing business as usual, which is let Aaron Rodgers hold the ball for decades, it seems like, and then look to throw the ball. Um, and usually have to throw it away or pressure gets there. So I hope that's something we don't see. I hope they they do what they did early in San Francisco and move the ball down the field, attack it. You know, Graham was very good in that game. Scantling was very good. Adams is very good in San Francisco, and the Packers got to keep up with that. And I get Cobb's back. I get Allison's back. But keep doing what worked uh, offensively early on in San Francisco. And late in the game when you had to go a two-minute offense to uh, to score. And please use Aaron Jones. Unfortunately, Noah McCarthy, he's stubborn. He's going to look to do things as usual, things that he's always done. And the Packers are probably going to get down early due to McCarthy playing his business-as-usual type offense. And with that, the Packers are going to have to try to play catch-up, and they're probably going to fall just short, and it's going to probably be a shootout. And I see the Rams winning this probably probably 41-34. to 34. Packers cut it close late, and but it's going to be too little too late. Because it's going to take a while for the the Packers offense to get going. Again, because McCarthy's stubborn. And it's going to take till probably the second half when it's desperation mode. And we're going two-minute offense. And we're trying to uh, uh, play catch-up. But, you know, with the Rams, like I said, it's going to be too little too late. And I'm going to record this podcast next week. And you're going to listen to all the Talking Heads Talk Sports next week. Talking about a Packer loss. So... With that, what are your thoughts on this Packer-Ram game coming up on Sunday uh, at Evan Witt Sports? Let me know what you think via Twitter. And with that, um, I'm not really sure what's next with the Evan Witt Podcast. I really don't. I enjoy talking sports. I enjoy um, sharing my opinion on sports with others. And I would love an opportunity to you know, be able to do this you know, more often, more frequently, but, you know, I just don't know, you know, I just, I just don't know, so, you know, I'm I'm going to decide on my future of podcasting in the next few days, and you may or may not uh, hear another episode of the Evan Wood Podcast, we'll see, um, if you want to hear more, if you want to see more, let me know, um, let me know what you think, uh, leave me a review and let me know what you want to see. But as I said, I just I don't know how much longer I'm going to uh, continue to offer this. So with that, hope you all have a great weekend and I will talk to you later.